reading of the word, and I'm going to continue in the series on The Apprentice. We're going to talk today about Soul Man. I'm going to go ahead and stick a song in your mind. Why don't you say with me, I'm a soul man. You're a keeper of your soul. And we're going to be talking about that. So let's look at two verses, uh, two different passages. Here's the first one. Can you read this with me? And didn't Jeff do a great job, Jeff and the team? God bless you, Jeff. Thank you. Now let's, uh, let's read this. Read it with me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Now let's make it personal. He restores my soul. Turn to your neighbor and preach to him. Say, he restores my soul. All right, let's look at the next one. Now notice here's uh, Jesus. I'm getting a little feedback up here, TJ. All right. Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. How many of you can receive that word? Isn't that a good one? And what did they do? They went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you better perk up and listen. God's going to speak to you today. <clears throat> Little Zachary was doing very badly in math. His uh, parents had tried everything. And some of you can recognize this. Tutors, mentors, flashcards, special learning centers, in short, everything they could think of to help his math. Finally, in a last-ditch effort, they took Zachary down and enrolled him in the local Catholic school. After the first day, little Zachary came home with a very serious look on his face. He didn't even kiss his mother hello. Instead, he went straight into his room and started studying. Books and papers were spread out all over the room, and little Zachary was hard at work. His mother was amazed. She called him down to dinner, and to her shock, the minute he was done, he marched back to his room without a word, and in no time, he was back hitting the books as hard as before. This was her little boy. This went on for some time, day after day, while the mother tried to understand what made the difference. Finally, little Zachary brought home his report card and quietly laid it on the table and went up to his room and hid his books. With great trepidation, the mom opened the report card and looked, and he got an A in math. She could no longer hold her curiosity. She went to his room and said, son, what was it? What did this? Was it the nuns? Little Zachary looked at her and shook his head. No, it wasn't the nuns. Well, then she replied, was it the books, the discipline, the structure, the uniforms? What was it that made you study this way? Little Zachary looked at her and said, well, on the first day of school when I saw that guy nailed to the plus sign, I knew they weren't fooling around. <laughs> Uh, 
Amen. All right, we're talking about the apprentice and how God has called every one of us as his disciples, as his believers, as his children, to be apprentices. We've seen that an apprentice simply means two things, hearing and doing. Jesus said, those who really love me will hear and they will do. They won't just hear and walk out the door, they'll hear and do. They will apply the word to their life. They will hear and they will do. And, you know, it's not difficult to understand the concept of apprentice. If you want to learn how to be an electrician, you've got to be mentored by somebody who knows what they're doing. And all you do when you're learning how to be an apprentice is you hang around with somebody who already knows how to do the trade so that you can know what he does and do what he does. You've got to be taught And what I'm trying to bring over in this series on The Apprentice is that Jesus didn't just come to save us. He came to teach us about life and living. And isn't it strange that the American church is great on introducing Jesus as Lord and Savior and the Redeemer, the Messiah, the one that will get you a ticket to heaven. But for some reason we have a disconnect when it comes to following him in life and living. He taught about everything that matters to your life. Jesus was and is the greatest philosopher in the history of the world. Not just a good redeemer, perfect redeemer, great redeemer, but he is a stunning, brilliant, ingenious, genius, in his own stratosphere, philosopher. He taught us about life, living, Anger, contempt, forgiveness, marriage, singleness, sexuality, everything that pertains to life and living. That's why we ought to do a real study of the the, the red ink. We ought to read what's in the red because that's the greatest teacher that ever set foot on planet earth teaching us about life and living. An apprentice is simply somebody who has decided to be with another person in order to become capable of doing what that person does or become what that person is. Now think about the prayer of Paul. When when Paul said, my groaning, my prayer, my intercession, my longing is that you would have Christ formed in you, that you would grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ. That when people meet you, they will say, who do they remind me of? They remind me of Jesus. Something about them reminds me of Jesus. They walk like him. They talk like him. They think like him. They love like him. They're patient like him. They remind me of Jesus. I want you to say with me, I'm called. There's a call on my life to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ. And here's our attitude. Jesus understood fully life and living. And if I want to understand how to live successfully on this planet, then I watch him and I read about him and I study him and I assimilate him so that my life begins to model his life. My life begins to model him. I begin to think like him, walk like him, talk like him, minister like him, love people like him. I'm free like him. 
And you know what I've discovered? That part of apprenticeship is learning to care for my soul. You've got a soul. And I want you to listen to this verse now. The Bible teaches that we all have a soul. And nobody can take care of your soul but you. You're the keeper of the flame. You're the keeper. You're the minister to your own soul. What goes into your soul gate, through the eye gate, the ear gate, the mouth gate, what goes into your soul is utterly up to you. I want you to listen now to what the Bible says. May your whole spirit, this is Paul praying, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of Jesus Christ. Now that tells us something very important about you and me. I want you to notice what he prayed for. He said, my prayer is that your whole body, your soul, and your spirit will be kept blameless until the coming of Jesus Christ. Sanctified, set apart. So the Bible tells us that I am made of three parts. Say them with me, body, soul, and spirit. I brought with me an egg today. And I wanted to show you a little example. I don't want you to ever forget what I'm telling you about yourself. You're made of a body, you're made of a soul, and you're made of a spirit. You are comprised of those three. You are triune. You are three part. That's what the Bible teaches about you. Now, this egg is three part. You have a shell, you have the white, and you have the yolk. It's three part. Just for the sake of an illustration, you can take this egg and say, you're kind of like it. You've got a shell, your body. It is inhabited by the white, your soul. And within the white is the yoke, your spirit. You have a body, soul, and spirit. Now listen to what the Bible says. The word of God is quick and powerful. It divides asunder the soul from the spirit and the joints and the marrow. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So there it is telling us that the word of God is the only thing on earth that can even divide between the soul and the spirit. But within your soul, you have a spirit. Now for the sake of this message today, when I say soul, I want you to be thinking of both soul and spirit. Because I'm going to talk to you about the need to care for your soul. Jesus came to redeem the white and the yoke. And he came to resurrect your body someday, the shell. And there's going to come a day when you're going to have a wonder body. You're going to have an incredible, miraculous body that you didn't get at Elaine Powers or Curves. <clears throat> it's going to be a glorified body. It's going to be a body like Jesus. But I want you to understand something about yourself. That Jesus came to redeem the body to resurrect it one day, the shell. He came to save the soul and the spirit because when man fell into sin, that yoke died. It died. When the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that you has he quickened, it means that you has the spirit of God touched on the inside and made alive your spirit. He reached in. As a matter of fact, when Jesus began to call you to himself and deal with you, he dealt with your spirit. 
He spoke to your spirit. He spoke to your soul. He, he went straight to the inside. Spirit dealt with spirit. And when you said, Jesus, forgive me of my sin and come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord, a miracle happened. The Spirit of God moved into the shell, moved into the shell and touched the Spirit and made you alive. And until he did that, you were dead men walking, dead women walking. You had no life. You were disconnected from the life of God. And the only way to get connected and be made alive again, if you don't know Jesus, is to come to the one who died for your sins and rose from the dead and said, you must be born from above or you will not see the kingdom of God. Say with me, I'm kind of like an egg. And I'll go out of here and say, Pastor Jeff called us eggs. <clears throat> but you've got a body and you've got a soul and you've got a spirit. Very important that we understand that. Now let me tell you about the soul. The soul is the invisible but the real part of you. It's invisible but it's the real part of you. It is the seat of your personality. It is that within you that feels, desires, reflects, and perceives. It says of the woman at the well, she said to Jesus, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. What was she saying? Something inside of me is telling me, witnessing to me, that you are a prophet. That's called discernment. And when you experience discernment, sometimes you can sense things in here that you don't even fully understand up here yet. Your spirit, your soul discerns. And it is that invisible part of you. Your soul can be vexed. It said God delivered just Lot who was vexed in his soul with their wicked deeds. The soul, it is within you. It is separate from your body. It is not your body. It is that invisible part of you that Jesus came to redeem. And if it's not redeemed by the blood, the soul will go into eternity without God. Your soul is that which uh, animates your body. It uses your body to get around in. Let me just show you another example. I have here a glove. Now I want you to notice, when there's nothing in it, the glove is limp and dead. It's lifeless. It has no use or meaning. But when I put a hand in it, when I put a hand in it, the glove is animated. I can move it. And for our radio listeners, I just put a glove on and I'm wiggling my fingers around. And I want you to understand that when, you've, when, when, you're, when your body is inhabited by a soul, that soul animates the body. So that the reason I'm moving like this is because the glove has something in it. And when my time comes to die, the hand leaves the glove and the glove goes limp and the hand goes up. Are you with me? <clears throat> and that's why Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay, 
So, so you have a soul. Your soul is using your body to get around in, to do the will of God. And you have a time granted by God to glorify Jesus on earth and do his will. And when that time is up, the hand is going to leave the glove. And there's not a thing you can do to stop it. Everybody in here is going to have an empty body one day. That's why if you've ever been to a funeral, you look at the person who's in the casket and one of the first things people always say, and I have been honored to preside over many, many funerals, you hear it every time, they're not there. I look at them and the one I knew is not there. Why? Because the the hand, the soul was animating the body. You knew the soul. You knew the soul. Paul said to be absent from the body is to immediately be present with the Lord. Let me be clear. There's no such thing as soul sleep. When you die, your soul doesn't go off to some never, never land or some middle ground waiting for Jesus to return. When you as a believer in Christ, when your body dies, the soul immediately goes in the presence of the Lord. That's why Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So, so understand with me that the soul is its own entity, its own thing. It is not the body and the body is not the soul. David knew this and talked to his own soul. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Get it together, soul. Snap up and praise God. He talked to his own soul. And you don't know it, but you're talking and conversing with and fellowshipping with your own soul all the time. That's why it matters so much what you say to yourself. Because you're talking to your own soul. So you ought to get up in the morning and say, when the alarm goes off, And you know you're about to get up and go to work and get on that highway packed with rush hour traffic. And your soul says, oh Lord, it's morning. You need to talk to your soul and say, good morning, Lord. Praise God, oh my soul. Jesus said that the soul was so valuable. This animator of your body, this invisible you, was so valuable that it was more valuable than all the treasures in the world added together. Jesus said, what good will it be for a man if he gains the entire world yet forfeits his soul? You can be Donald Trump. You can be Bill Gates. You can have everything but you better take care of your soul. You better be sure your soul is covered by the blood because you're not taking nothing with you. I've never seen a U-Haul at a funeral. (laughs) Did you know that John in his third letter, listen carefully, John talked about a healthy soul. He said, dear friend, I am praying that all is well with you And that your body is as healthy as I know your soul is. 
So there's a healthy soul. And John seems to intimate that there can be a correlation between a healthy body and a healthy soul. I'm not saying that's always the case. I got laryngitis last week and it had nothing to do with my soul. I shook, I shook the wrong hand. But I want you to notice that John knew enough about soul health that he said, I am so glad and my prayer is that your body will be as healthy as I know your soul is. He knew that his friend had a healthy soul. How in the world did he know that? And you know what? This is what the apprentice of Jesus Christ has got to learn and take care of. Now, I'm going to talk to you real seriously today for a moment. I want you to hear me on this one because there, there are a lot of people in the body of Christ who are hurting, who are limping, who are bleeding, who are, 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 are weak and spiritually anemic because they do not understand how to take care of their soul. The Bible talks about all kinds of soul conditions. We're told about a vexed soul. David wrote, my soul is sorely vexed. The Bible talks about a converted soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Jesus said you must be born again. He's talking about the soul. So there's a born again soul. The Bible talks about a restored soul. We read it. David said he restores my soul. There's a humbled soul. The Bible says, I humbled my soul with fasting. There's a thirsty soul. My soul thirsts for you in a dry and a thirsty land where there is no water. I'm going to tell you, one of the signs of a spiritually healthy soul is it's thirsty for God. It's thirsty for God. There's a satisfied soul. He said, my soul shall be satisfied when I awake with your likeness. There's a satisfied soul. And there is a troubled soul, oh yeah. For my soul is deeply troubled, the psalmist wrote. Deeply troubled. I am not surprised when I read about a Heath Ledger dying. Having taken so many drugs because he couldn't even sleep at night. Yet, multi-millionaire. I'm going to tell you folks, God made us creatures with a soul and he made us moral. And that's why your soul will rest and be at peace when you come to him and walk in his word. We, our souls were made to fellowship with God. They were made to, to assimilate truth. They were made to walk in line with God's will. And when you, when you don't do it, you've got soul trouble. You get soul trouble. And if you really, really abuse your soul, you won't be able to sleep at night. You won't enjoy life. Here was a young man with the world by the tail, but he couldn't sleep. Wandered the streets of downtown night after night. Everything, but his soul deeply troubled. We've got to respect what God made us to be. The Bible says there's a fainting soul. Maybe you've experienced one of those before. I sure have. A fainting soul. It says their souls fainted in them. And there's a lean soul, lean. That means anemic. It says that God sent leanness to the soul of the people who demanded the quail, demanded what God didn't want them to have. They demanded their own way and God gave it to him, but it sent leanness to their soul. Now I want you to notice just these examples 
how important the soul was to the psalmist. I'm going to suggest to you 50% of the reason there's people in a doctor's office is they got soul trouble manifesting physically. David said, man, when I take a read on myself, I take a read on my soul. Now, I want to share with you, you say, well, pastor, what does a healthy soul look like? Well, let me tell you what a healthy soul looks like. Let me tell you how you can know you've got a healthy soul. And I'm going to close this out today with one key, just one because of time, one key to maintaining your soul. But here's how you know you've got a healthy one. Are you ready? Say with me the fantastic five. You know you've got a healthy soul by these five things. And here they are. Faith, hope, love, joy, peace. That's the fantastic five. That's the fantastic five. Now, I want to ask you a question. How in the world did John know that his friend had a healthy soul? What did he read? How did he scan him? Well, I want to suggest to you that the Fantastic Five are the vital signs of a healthy soul. You know, uh, uh, you go for a physical, and the doctor is going to check certain things. He's going to check your blood pressure, your cholesterol, your weight, your pulse, your blood count. And if all of them come back good, what does he say? Healthy. Way to go. See you next year. And I'm so glad when I hear those words. Next year. He says, see, he says, I know what a healthy body looks like. How can I help you and tell you if you're sick if I don't know what health looks like? I got to know what a healthy body looks like so that I can read if you're healthy or not. So how can a believer know if they've got a healthy soul? Because if we don't know what a healthy soul is, we're not going to know when it's not healthy. It's the Fantastic Five. If your soul is healthy, you ought to have vibrant faith. You ought to have expectant hope. You go to somebody with a healthy soul, say, hey, man, how you doing? Oh, man, I'm so excited about what God is doing. I know good things are on the way. I'm excited about the moving of God in my life. I see good things coming down the pike. God is good all the time. I may have been through some valleys and some tough times, but thank God my God is good. I'm expecting good from the hand of God. When you hear that, you're listening to a healthy soul. But if you say to them, oh, the devil's after me every day. He's about to whoop me good. I'm going down for the count, pastor. Pray me up, preach me up, help me. I come away going, temperature 102. (laughs) Vibrant faith, the fantastic five. Expectant hope. Genuine love. Say to somebody, how's your love life? That is, how you doing with loving people? And it won't take you five minutes. Well, you know, I would love people, but there's this one person. They are going straight to hell in a handcart. I used to think they were saved. I don't even think they're saved. I just, as soon as you hear that, 102. Because, see, a healthy soul is free from bitterness, free from offense, 
free to love people, free to reach out. That's soul health. And we're to have a healthy soul. And I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. So you ought to have genuine love. And what about inner joy? You know, the thing about the Fantastic Five is here's the trick. You can't have one without the other. They are like a train and the locomotive begins with faith. And all the cars it's pulling are the other four. Faith. Vibrant faith that is believing God and that is clear with God. And that leads to hope. And that leads to love. And I guarantee you, if you're free and you're able to love people and you're walking in the will of God, you can't stop the joy. Joy will grab hold of you. You'll have a smile on your face, a skip in your step, a gleam in your eye. God wants you and me to have joy. And we didn't smoke anything to get it, drink anything to get it, shoot anything to get it, snort anything to get it. Everybody say with me, joy. Joy Joy is not dependent upon a happening out here. That's American understanding of happiness. I got to have a happening to make me happy. With joy, you don't need a happening to make you happy because joy is supernatural. It springs from inside out and it comes from the throne room of God. And then if you've got faith, hope, love, and joy, I guarantee you, you're going to have abiding peace. You go to somebody and say, who's a believer, do you have peace? Well, I would if I wasn't so worried about so many things. I'd have peace if I wasn't filled with fear. I'd have peace if I wasn't so upset about this, that, and the other. That tells me, "Uh uh-uh, you as an apprentice have not been doing what he taught. Because Jesus said at least four times in a few verses, do not worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry about it. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, where your provisions going to come from. Worry is a clear signal. You haven't prayed things through. Yeah, I came to meddle a little bit today. But hey, 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 I want you blessed. And I know that an apprentice cares for their soul. What I'm describing to you in the Fantastic Five, faith, hope, love, joy, and peace, I've got peace like a river, joy like a fountain, love like the ocean. I'm free. I'm clear. I walk in supernatural peace that passes all understanding. When I describe the Fantastic Five, I am not talking about a quirk. I'm not talking about uh, the, the best day you've ever had as a Christian. I'm talking about normal Christianity. Normal. You say, well, I don't know anybody like that. Well, then you know a bunch of subnormal Christians. Come on, church. He said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He didn't say that every once in a while it'll sneak up behind you and beat you over the head. He didn't say when you've been in a Holy Ghost meeting, you're going to have abundant life. He said, I have come that you might have life here and now, every day. Faith, hope, love, joy, peace. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you ought to have that every day. 
Now I'm going to tell you why Jesus leads his followers to care for their souls. And let me quickly do this and realize that next week I'm going to be on this again. And I'm going to preach this and teach this because, folks, if you get a bunch of people out there walking in faith, hope, love, joy, and peace, you are like God's billboard with neon lights. You're going to stand out like a light in a dark place. People need to see the fruit, not just the words, the fruit. George Mueller, the great man of God in the 1800s, London, who cared for orphans, hundreds and hundreds of orphans every day for like four decades, five decades, never asked for a dime from a soul. He believed for God's provision and people would walk up to his front porch daily and leave food and money and clothing and provision for his children. Hundreds of them taken off the streets, little street urchins that would have died in the street. And he said, I make it my first business every day to get happy in Jesus. That's my first business every day. Jesus didn't come to put a sour look on your face. He didn't come to etch a furrowed brow on your forehead. He came to put a smile on you. He came to lighten the load. He came to give you joy. He came to give you a quality of life that Heath Ledger and everybody like him is looking for in all the wrong places. That's what Britney Spears needs too. I said it in church. I said it in church. I'm going to say a little bit more. She doesn't need Dr. Phil. She needs Dr. Jesus. She needs 30 minutes with Jesus. And it would take care of her. She just needs some scripture spoken into her poor, troubled soul. The troubled soul of that girl. Here's why you got to take care of your soul. Your interior life decides your quality of life. Your interior life decides your quality of life. He said, I pray your body is as healthy as I know your soul is. How many of you in here want to enjoy life? Okay, you better be here next week. You better get this tape. Or listen to what I'm telling you. I'm just ministering the word to you. This isn't... Wickwire-isms, I'm giving you the word. Jesus is the greatest philosopher that ever lived. He knows how to teach us about life and living. Second reason, a healthy soul is the secret to a victorious life. A healthy soul. When Jesus spoke about the house on the sand and the house on the rock, he said one of them crashes, the other one stands strong in a storm. You know what happens with the crash house? Let me tell you the truth about it. It was really a crashed soul. You don't, see a, you don't see a life bite the dust. You see a soul bite the dust. So he was talking about the inner life. If you hear and do these sayings of mine, your soul won't crash. Third reason, a healthy soul is absolutely necessary for spiritual productivity. You will not produce anything. Your prayer life will consist of help me, help me, provide, provide. That's it. Until your soul is healthy. Faith, hope, love, joy, peace. Jesus said, a good man out of the good treasure. Where's the treasure? 
of his heart. If your soul is healthy, you've got a treasure in your heart. I don't have anything to give to you if I don't take care of my soul. I read, I study, I spend time with God a lot. Because I know if I don't take care of my soul, that's what my life is built on. And you're the same way. Dad, in your home, if anyone needs a healthy soul, it's you. You're the leader. Mother, you need a healthy soul to deal with everything that comes at you. He said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart, look, brings forth. When your soul is healthy, you will bring forth good things. All good ministry is only overflow of what's in your soul. Lean souls burn out. Healthy souls burn on. I'm going to tell you, you don't ever need to burn out. If you can take care of your soul, you will burn on. Now, one quick key. Here it is. I want you to say with me, solitude and silence. Here's one quick key to how, how to take care of your soul. I'm going to close with this. <clears throat> Notice what Jesus said. Come aside by yourself to a deserted place and rest a while. I want you to catch this. Come aside. Break away by yourself to a deserted place and rest a while. He said this to his disciples who were so overwhelmed with the crowds that they didn't have time to do anything. There were many coming and going so they didn't even have time to eat. So what does it say the disciples did? They went away by themselves, I'm quoting the word, in a boat to a lonely place, a solitary place, and they went with Jesus. Some of you can't even handle the thought of being alone. As long as I'm talking about celebrities today, let me just tell you that I think the reason Paris Hilton went insane in jail is because her soul was shouting at her so loud she could not stand the silence. <laughs> to care for your soul, you got to have some down time. An old proverb says, the bow always bent will break. You always bent? Some of you look about half bent to me today. When I say downtime, I do not mean sitting in your lazy boy with a channel changer in one hand, your telephone in the other, with your Blackberry on the table next to you and your laptop at your feet and your Bose radio blaring in the other room. That is not what I mean by downtime. I mean solitude. I mean silence. Except perhaps nature noises like birds or the rustling of leaves. I go into my room, I shut the door, I turn off all the mass media, and I hit a CD that is an ocean roaring, and I get quiet. Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place 
with Jesus. The psalmist wrote, be still and know that I am God. Modern man's soul is bombarded with endless, intrusive, discombobulating noise. Modern man's soul, if I was going to describe it, is harried, hurried, hassled, and harassed. The constant bombardment of pop culture idiocy, and I mean all these stupid shows that make their livelihood on crashing celebrities, turn it off. You mix that with the machine gun-like fire of endless, empty, vacuous information, and you've got industrial strength toxin to the soul. To care for the soul, the apprentice has got to come out of that noise, shut the door, take the phone off the hook, don't carry People Magazine into the room with you, shut out the world and the insane pop culture, get quiet before God and let your soul breathe. Well, that's my introduction to the care of the soul. I want you to stand with me. I want you to say with me, I've got a soul. Say with me, it needs attention. I can't come grab you and carry you into a prayer closet and make you take care of your soul. You're going to have to do it. Do it every day. Next week, I'm going to give you particulars. Don't miss it because, listen, your life's going to change. I promise you, if you'll listen and do what we're ministering out of the Word, it's going to change your life. If you don't listen, you may be in for a soul crash. And we'll hear about it. We'll hear that it suddenly is what people say. I can't believe it happened. But no, anybody whose house crashes... Believe me, it was a long time coming in neglect of the soul. Father, I want to pray for this precious people. I pray that you'll help us to care for our souls. They were so valuable. You sent your son to die on a cross to save them. Help us, Lord, to minister to our own souls. We ask you, Lord, to, I ask, as the pastor of this church, that you would bring this congregation into a level of maturity and Christ-likeness and richness of soul that we have never known. I want you to take a minute, church. And I want you to say, Lord, help me to minister to my soul. And then I want you to plan on doing it. You're not too busy. You can do it. Take a minute as we worship.